0: what is up pga fans we are back another week of some golf fun this week we're heading out to las vegas the shriners children's hospital open it's a little bit of a mouthful but it's a good event it's a really good event and and for us it's good to get back to what i would consider some normalcy uh where we had um a few of those JV tournaments, not a lot of our main guys playing, uh, and now we're back. It's got a lot of the big names are playing. It's it's more of a of a normal-looking tournament in terms of DraftKings player pool and things like that. So I'm really excited to break it down with you today. Um, and before we dive in, of uh, as always, I'm joined by my trusted co-host, Sia Najad and Spencer Aguiar. Uh, Spencer, how are you
1: doing today? I'm doing well. It's uh, the tournament this week's in my hometown of Las Vegas. So it's always exciting to see a course I know, you know, up close and personal. And as you said, there's a lot of good players here. We always get a kind of a star studded field for these off-season events here. So it should be a good tournament.
2: Yeah, I'm super excited. See ya. How about you? I'm jealous of Spencer for a lot of things, but I'm kind of jealous that he lives in Las Vegas. Not because like Las Vegas is that great. I mean, there's some overrated things about it too, I suppose. But it's just cool to say you're from Las Vegas. Now I live in Miami, but I'm not like from Miami. I'm from Northern Virginia. It's like DC area. <laughs> I just think it's cool to say Las Vegas. Also, Cota Samuel's only three thousand on on DraftKings uh, uh, for DFS. Is this is this the football show? I just I just had to point that out. I just courtesy. He's only 3000. I just snap share is going to rise. Listen, play Curtis Samuel as your dart throw. All right, let's get back to golf. I love it. I, listen, You listen to our
0: golf show. You make money in the NFL. And then we just also give you the wedding plays in golf. It's just like a one-stop shop. This is all that is. Um, uh, well, cool. I think this is good. I think we can dive right in and get into the player pool and the field. Uh, I think for today's, let's, let's change it up a little bit. Let's have Spencer kick us off with his breakdown. As as we have all know, Spencer's breakdown is super thorough, uh, super in depth, and it's really helpful to kind of get a start and a gauge on you know how to pick and how to target which golfers on this week's golf course. So Spencer, without further ado. Yes.
1: Yeah, so as I you know mentioned, this is a course I know very well. Um, Bobby Weed masterminded the property on the rugged desert terrain in 1991 with Fuzzy Zeller serving as his consultant. The course itself meanders through arroyos and canyons featuring lush bent grass greens to go along with friendly Bermuda rough. I use the word friendly because the rough is only two inches thick, but Bermuda rough can be sticky and cost some flyers for those that missed the short grass off the tee. Players don't seem overly concerned about that fact since driving distance is over 13 yards above tour average, but it is worth noting that some of the added length can be directly correlated to the slight altitude change and firm fairways from the Vegas heat. I think that gives us an artificial boost to some of the shorter hitters who are going to get more rollout than they are accustomed to having during a regular tour stop. Uh, The three par fives and two short par fours are the most accessible holes, and four of these are included during the final six-hole stretch. There is a challenging par 3 17th, but that's really the only test for players coming in that they're going to have to be faced with. Overall, golfers that can demonstrate ball striking ability and strategy off the tee should exploit TPC Summerlin, since nine of the past 11 winners have taken home the title at 20 under par or better. But as we always mention on this show, these birdie shootouts that don't highlight a particular skill set are a little more challenging to handicap. I try to keep things predictive in a roundabout way. But there are some loopholes to get past since tournaments such as the Shriners will open up the field for more players to find success. But before I get into my exact statistical breakdown, I do want to note that I added a little more weight to my course history tab on my model. TPC Summerlin has ranked inside the top 15 of active courses when it comes to rollover predictability. That's a lot different than we saw last week at the Sanderson's, which had some of the worst rollover predictability. Uh, I don't think that means someone playing it for the first time can't find success, But I would be more leery if a golfer has produced multiple failed experiences in the last few years. Uh, But from a statistical perspective, I weighted eight categories this week. I started with strokes gained tee to green for 17.5%. I slightly reconfigured it from how the PGA Tour looks at the stat to try and make it more conducive towards TPC Summerlin. We saw the dispersion in scoring last year be about 15% for both off the tee and around the green. Approach was 37%. I reallocated those percentages to remove putting from the equation entirely, which essentially gave me a weighted tee to green metric that incorporated 23% of my total on both off the tee and around the green and 54% on approach. I did 10% on both strokes gain total at easy courses and TPC courses over the last 50 rounds. As I mentioned, with nine of the last 11 wins coming at 20 under par or better, it takes a specific type of player here. And then the TPC filter just works nicely since all TPC properties are somewhat the same as they're birdie fest, they're made for television, they're made for guys to go low at. Uh, Short par four plus par five birdie are better for 10%. That's about as low as you'll ever see me go for a non-par 70, but most holes out here provide the opportunity to make birdie. I thought pinpointing a specific set of any kind for a large weight was dangerous because it minimizes the impact that the other holes might have. Instead, I added another 15% for overall birdie or better percentage. I like the complete picture. This route took more of 25% of my total statistical data being derived by scoring, uh, but it isn't being condensed into a specific range. Uh, Total driving for 17.5%. That is a 65-35 split of accuracy over distance. Yes, players average 13 yards more here off the tee, but I view that as a positive for the shorter hitters. As I mentioned, you're going to get a little extra rollout. Scrambling for 10%. I considered sand safe percentage because there are over a hundred scattered throughout the property. And then I wrapped it up with 10% on strokes gain total on bent grass greens. That's just another way of looking for potential positive putting regression. I don't mind adding in three putt avoidance because these are larger complex that we have here, but I decided to keep my model where it was and use stats like that as more of an eye test than anything else.
0: I like it. I like actually While you booked that I had one question I wanted to ask you because I think you made a really smart point that I agree with, but I want to kind of figure out how you weigh it. And you mentioned that um, when weighing uh, course history, you want to more focus on guys who have a poor history versus maybe just like try and find the, the best golfer. Or you kind of said it as you kind of want to fade someone who's not playing, who hasn't done well here with consistency. Would you say it's, it's better to – Look at it from a hey, these are more players to fade because they've consistently not performed well versus try and target the guys who have the stronger history. Or equal. I think
1: I think that's one way to do it. I mean, I think when you look at it in that sense, you find a lot of really good head-to-head candidates uh, to pick on, and that's more of a betting answer than anything. But you can fade them in the same sense uh, of that, but. Uh, Yeah. I mean, one of the things I will do is I always have my statistical model, uh, which I'm going to uh, assess a ranking total or a a power rating number to that. I'm going to have my current form. I'm going to have the course history. Those numbers will change based off of certain factors. Like this week, as I said, the course history has gone up with it. Uh, The statistics have remained the same. I put the current form down a little bit just because we are in a new season that doesn't mean much because it was only a week long break with it, but I thought it was enough. So to where some of these guys are making their first start in like four or five weeks and uh, I will wait it. So I have it from the last five weeks, to the last 10 weeks. I think that that's kind of a good set point from it. Uh, but one of the things I will do is I have a weighted total from it. So uh, it'll look a little bit more in the recent form than the, the past form, which past being like longer than a five week period. And that's not like 10 tournaments for a player. That would be 10 weeks on tour. So dating back from this week, uh, or I guess it would be last week to um, you know ten weeks ago on that, but yeah, I mean I think there's a lot of different ways. I think it's a really good indicator to try to find people to fade to kind of go to your point on it. Uh, it just gives you a really good answer, and I think that's one of the reasons why my head-to-head model has been picking at about sixty percent, mostly when I condense the nature of what I'm using on it. Just because you find really good bets of guys that are not in form, whether that be for current form. Or guys that are just not good course fits. And when the complete picture sets itself up to where the stats also don't work, then you kind of just have the grand you know, jackpot of what you're trying to find.
0: Well, what I'd add to that is I'd agree. I think that stat does work both ways and that you can find guys who consistently perform well to play and guys who consistently performed poorly to fade. Uh, but I do think the consistent poor play on a course is probably more predictive uh, a guy just you know doesn't play well at certain courses doesn't suit their swing or what have you. That's probably more predictive because with playing well, you know it, there's there's a few guys that we'll talk about in a minute who have consistently been like in the teens and like what does that mean right? that, that it's not gonna win you GPP. Obviously they're doing something right. They're competing pretty well, but they haven't gotten top ten. So it's like a little awkward. It's like you still need some so many things to go right that I think it's more predictive of the negative than the positive. But either way, I do think it, it's super helpful. So thanks for that, Spencer. Uh see how about you what are you looking at for the course this week?
2: I mean, how am I supposed to follow that up, Joel? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I mean, you know, if if I'm in in I'm happy to take Spencer's opinion here, but but if I'm looking at just kind of a more I don't know, macro breakdown uh, some of the stuff I put in my model, other than the like the basic metrics. Um, obviously, it's a birdie fest, so you know birdie or better gained, birdie or better percentage, whatever you're, whatever kind of website you're looking at. Um, the proximities between like 75 and 150, I think, are pretty important because versus tour average, particularly 100 to 150, you're definitely going to see a lot more shots from that range than your regular uh, PGA event. Um, outside of that, I mean, I I'd, I'd like to have guys that are getting it in the fairway, I understand that's not a prerequisite, but, you know, we've got really big greens here and I, I really, if, you know, the greens and regulation percentage as the weekend unfolds is going to be a little misleading because you could hit a green in regulation and be, you know, 70 feet away and you could hit a green in regulation and, and you're, you know, six feet away. So I'm looking for guys who are, who, who can get themselves in a really good position to stuff it against the T. And so that's approach is going to be like kind of paramount for me here this week.
0: Yeah, for me, I took this week. I took a bit of a different approach for myself this week. Uh, I kind of waited the most, more than I normally do around the green game. Uh, I'm looking for guys who are going to be able to kind of clean it up and, and get those birdies around the green and things like that. Um, I was pretty off of off the tee game for the most part. I think that that almost was was the lowest weight I had put on. But really, what that's doing for me is making me kind of wait go closer toward uh, bad drivers, right? Because now I'm basically just saying. If driving is holding you back, then it shouldn't be a negative here. So if the rest of your game makes you a pro golfer, and you compete while being a bad driver. Then you should be. This course should kind of neutralize your weakness. So that was kind of my thought process for the most part. But the standard stuff. Other than that, you know, our approach as always is going to be important. Uh, like I said, around the green, and then I, I'm, I'm I've, a new thing I've been doing. I've mentioned this now for a few months, but now it's a staple in my process: putting. Uh, I went from being something that I would kind of think it was mainly luck to no, it's not luck. I what I learned early is, and what I'm seeing is, you know, when the, we get to a lot of the advanced metrics, you know, guys like, you know, Doug Gim and Matthew Naysa, they tended to pop because they could, they had really good iron play, but they were, they consistently were poor putters. and they were never getting there. And so I've come to realize that guys who are good putters, that, that does carry over. And that does mean more than just, Hey, it's luck one week or versus another. So, that is something that I'm starting to weigh heavier and heavier into uh, how I break down each week. So, with that being said, let's get right into it. Let's go right into the top range. Uh, we'll go right in for the DFS purposes. See, do you want to kick
2: us off? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it's hard. It's hard to have a huge negative for anybody that's you know ten thousand or above. There's a couple guys that I'm focused on. One of them is, is going to be maybe a little different from you guys because he has no experience here, but I think he's the best golfer in the field and that's Victor Hovland. Um, speaking of a guy who can get really, really hot on approach. Um, I just I just like him quite a bit. again, I, I, I'm weighing him versus the field here. And so yeah, Brooks Kepka burns is hot. Brooks Kepka you know technically is, has you know more accolades by a long shot. Webb Simpson is here who has pretty great uh, course history, but it's not like elite course history in my opinion. Um, when I weigh all those guys against each other, I I keep coming up with Victor Hovland. The other guy I like, and I really hesitated with this one, but I I just couldn't deny a what the model was telling me and, and b just sort of his form and the fact that he's finished fourth place here twice. Now it's two missed cuts as well, but that's Abraham answer. I think he might be more of like a cash game play for me, depending on ownership, but I think Abraham Answers is a pretty smart play, particularly in cash. So Answer and Hovland. I was going back and forth on Will Zalatoris. I think I'm out on that. It's going back and forth on Sam Burns. I think I'm out on that. I somebody uh, um, Rick and Greg Ducharme tried to convince me on on uh, Webb Simpson, and I just don't think I'm there. So if you guys like him, then maybe I'm maybe that'll shift the pendulum a little bit. But that's who I like in this elite range.
0: Just because you said Webb Simpson, I'll, I'll step in there first. With Webb, I actually think he's a really good cash play. I don't like him for GPs. Not at this mm-hmm. price. I just don't think he makes sense. I don't think there's enough upside, but I do think he's a pretty safe floor. So if you want to put him in cash I can be I'd be okay with that because I think top 20, top 25 is something that I, I do see out of him. Uh Spencer, how about you? What are, what are you looking at up here?
1: I can't promise that Nick doesn't do the better golf pod with me anymore because of uh, me mentioning Webb Simpson every single week. I think he got sick of hearing that from me. But uh, I mean, I will agree with you that I think he might be the best cash play on the board, uh, but I kind of like him for GPPs also. But, uh, you know, similar to last week, five of the top nine golfers are in this range for me. But I will say I'm not as convinced that we are required to start here. I don't see a massive difference between most of these players in the drop down in the 9K range. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't have a few golfers I will be using, but uh, that's just kind of my thoughts with it. Uh, Sam Burns would probably be the one that is a fade for me. He graded just outside the top 20 in all iterations of high Rand my model. My belief is, is that his distance will get somewhat negated. Uh, that doesn't make him a blow up candidate by any means but it just suggests that my model believes he is the least likely to pay off his second place price tag. Kepka at 11,100. I think he's MME only if you're really trying to leverage ownership in a large field contest. He's inside the top 12 for me in all iterations of my model, although he doesn't grade first anywhere for being the highest priced golfer on DraftKings. As I mentioned, that typically indicates more of an MME type play for me where my model does view him as a negative value, but he's still grading well enough where he's popping in that section. Uh, that's my thoughts on him. I agree completely with C on Victor Hovland. I think this is going to be the hardest one for me to shake here. Feel like he's sitting on a big result, having averaged 3.79 shots with his irons over his last eight and 2.65 off the tee in his last 16. He's gained off the tee in 19 of his last 21 and ranks sixth in total driving. Uh, all things considered, he's probably my favorite play up in this top section answer at 10,400, you know, kind of as Sia was saying with that too, models are going to love him. I don't think you're going to find a model that doesn't like him this week. He's fourth overall for me, third for upside, eighth for safety. But I've talked about this exact scenario on this show with you guys before. I just think he's overpriced when he gets put up in this mm-hmm. section. Uh, this yeah. is a better course fit for him than we typically get, but I'm not sure the upside is quite what everyone believes it to be. He'll probably finish inside the top 25 and he'll look fine on paper. But I'm not looking for a popular safety play when constructing a GPP build. I think there's $9,000 golfers that have just as much upside as he does, if not more. Uh, Simpson is going to be the chalk answer, as I said, that I am going to be willing to play here. We've just seen this narrative countless times where he's almost bulletproof at certain venues. Uh, The Wyndham Championship is the more pronounced definition of that. But even here, he has recorded four straight top 20 results. I think he's, as I said, one of the must have cash options, Uh, but I think you can get creative with him in GPPs. And then my real concern with Zalatoris is just that he doesn't make enough birdies over four days for an event like this. Uh, You know, I find him to be in this weird zone where I'd rather pay up or down for certain golfers. I don't necessarily have an issue with him, but can't play everybody. So at 15%, I'm out on him. So for me to just quickly wrap that up, Hovland and Webb are my favorite plays where I'm willing to eat the ownership in GPPs if I start in this range. Uh, As I said, I'll be using Webb heavily in cash. I'm more or less out on Burns and Zalatoris because of where they are priced. And Anser and Kepka are probably game-specific type looks for me. I like
0: it. Uh, I, I think I'm more – I'm kind of similar as I felt last week where I just feel like this top range – they're all good plays. Obviously, these are the best golfers. There's nothing wrong with them. But in terms of GPPs, as everyone knows, that's mainly how I'm look for, looking at this. Um, I think the person, the the combination of the highest price tag with kind of the highest ownership. This there's a lot of ownership up in this top tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's an easy pivot off of it. It doesn't seem like it's a necessary uh, to go into this range. I can be balanced. I can g- save some ownership. So to be honest, I'm I'm really not very heavy on any of these guys now. Uh, if I'm going to play a lot of lineups, I will sprinkle in some of these guys just because they're the best players, but I'm talking my lower percentages and I will be more, more focused in the in the next range below. So with that being said, uh, Spencer, why don't you kick us off in the 9K range?
1: Yeah, so I, I like this range a lot, as you just said. I think there's a lot of potential pivot options and I agree. I don't think you need to start in the 10,000 range. I think when you get the you know ownership to condense in the one section, you kind of get things that open up below. So... I'll run through some of these guys. Obviously, some will be more cash game plays than, than others, but uh, Louis Ooste is in 9,900. I think he should have playability across the board because he's made 16 straight made cuts and upside at the specific test. He ranks second on betgrass grass greens and first in strokes game total over his last 24 rounds. There's still a little worry on my part about his ability to make birdies in bunches for a shootout like this. Uh, that just naturally makes him a better cash play when you look at that. But I think he does possess a contrarian nature for GPPs just because he's around 10% owned. Uh, Scotty Scheffler at 9,700. If you look at my model this week uh, and anybody who uses it, you will notice Scheffler doesn't grade out exceptionally well with the way it was released. But one of the things I like to do is alter certain variables on my version to try and see who moves when something is added or subtracted. And Scheffler will remain GPP only because there are some red flags with it. But some of them are easy to explain, which one of them being the fact that he's never finished better than 74th here in two tries. So let me start with that and I'll work my way down from there for other reasons. But uh, if you remember, he played the Shriners tournament last year, having taken off three weeks in a row because of COVID-19. So I'm willing to throw that result out entirely. And even his 74th place finish in 2019 is more aberrational than anything else. When you consider the fact that he entered Saturday eight under par and within striking distance of the leaders, uh, two poor rounds of golf plummeted him down the leaderboard on the weekend. That's something my model can't tell the difference in with the data, with the way that it's put together, but you know, I don't like heavily altering stats when I release it from a you know, pertinent data point. I'd rather somebody else make that decision. But the other thing I really liked about him is that he ranks 61st in my model for strokes gain approach over my long-term time frame. But I think you can discount that also for a few reasons. So he's gained with his irons in five of his past seven, but maybe even more importantly than that, that 61st place ranking isn't differentiating an easy course from a hard course. When I dial my data in to show only how he scores at tracks that are easy, He's sixth overall in this field. Um, This situation reminds me a lot of Homa at the Genesis, where he was lightly owned and my reconfigured model loved his potential. And I think we get the same spot here where the public will be underweight on him, at least for where they should be. But his upside wins this event if we get his best. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I think he's just a better play than answer. You get him for cheaper, you get him for lower ownership, and I think you get better upside with him. Uh, Hideki at 9,500 is fine. I think, you know, I'm not incorporating as much putting as you are, Joel, with it. So you're always going to get a little bit more of an ideal setting for what Hideki shows up. Uh, I, I think that if I really was going to play him, I'd want him to be 6 to 8% owned. It doesn't seem like we're going to get that. So based off of that reason, I'm probably going to be out. I think English at 9,300 is probably my second favorite uh, GPP play behind Scheffler. Uh, He ranks inside the top 25 in my model for strokes gained T degree green over his last 24 rounds and is also inside the top 16 in my model over the last two years for scoring at easy courses. Sung Jay is kind of trending in the wrong direction. The one thing I'll say about Sung Jay is he was number one in my model, at least from an overall perspective. He's lost strokes with his irons the last two weeks. I think that's something worth noting on it. Maybe I'm big braining my own model here, but if I'm going to give Scheffler a boost for what the changes I made for him, Im definitely suffers the opposite fate. And then I like Siwoo Kim at 9,000. Four top 30s in his last five starts, two top 15s here in his last three appearances, Uh, top 10 in my model at short courses. I think he fits nicely into a cash build and is still usable in GPP. So for me, Scheffler would be my favorite in a GPP. English would be my second favorite. And I think I can find a way to fit in Siwoo Kim.
0: I like it. I like it. See, how about you? What are you looking at in this range?
2: Let me ask you first, because, or one of you two, because um, I'm looking at different ownership projections than you guys are. I'm just looking at a different site. Um, where are you seeing Scotty Scheffler at? Because my number is pretty high and I'm
1: surprised by it. So I think it's wrong. I mean, I I have them at about 10 and a half percent. Maybe yeah. I'm too low. No, I don't think so. Actually, to be honest with you, the the
2: site I'm looking at, which I'll, I'll will remain nameless, I don't think is as great with ownership projections particularly not early earlier in the week on a tuesday night so that's why i was asking because i don't think this number is right um okay yeah because scotty sheffler is not somebody i considered but honestly spencer after because he's a guy i normally like and joel i know it's a guy you normally like as well and given sort of the uh, you know the reasons not excuses but reasons why you know we he has those those finishes over the last two years here, it certainly makes sense. So um, that's definitely somebody I'm going to be willing to play in, in GPPs. Whereas like answer might be more of a cash game play for me as would be like a Webb Simpson. I think Shuffler is, is a way smarter GPP play. And I, I, I shouldn't have even said, I I think, I mean, that's like in an, an actual fact that this lower owned uh, this lower rostered guy is going to um, have more upside from a GPP standpoint. So um, the, the, the other two guys I like are, are the, are the ones that, Spencer just mentioned. I like Louie uh, quite a bit. I, I think when you're looking for guys, the one watch out for him is when I looked at sort of his proximity buckets, you know, 100 to 150, 75 to 100. You know, he, he didn't really grade out as well as I would have thought over the last 36, 50 rounds. But honestly, the game just seems so perfect. He's just going to hit it in the fairway and then he's just going to stick it in here. Like it's just it's such a like almost like a lazy like like, this is just how Louis plays. And I I think, I, I know there's a different narrative about Louis in terms of being able to string birdies together, but I just don't see a reason why he can't do it here. Um, you know, he was top 20 in 2021. That's not anything amazing, but honestly, he's been in great form. I mean, his his recent play has been good. His play in 2021 was great. So the other guy uh, I'll mention is um, Sibu Kim. I mean, he's got two top 15s over his last, three attempts here, including an eighth overall last year. Speaking of eighth overall, he was eighth last week, 11th the week before that, 29th the week before that at the, at the BMW um, second at the Wyndham. I mean, again, I think this is really truly is a good course fit, especially like Spencer said on those shorter courses. I don't see him being really high, you know, high owned because this, I mean, the percentage I'm seeing is pretty low on him. So I think he's a really smart GPP play and a great pivot off of, I'm seeing high numbers on Kevin Na, and I know I know his history is, is great here. But if people are rostering a lot of Kevin Na, I like Siwu as a pivot.
1: Did Kevin Na withdraw? I believe so. Oh, did he? Oh, my bad. Yeah, I, okay. and I unfortunately, that's one of the the sad things about this is I, I think it was a really good pivot off of Kevin Na, and now obviously people are going to have to make that decision. Here, so I think that's going to boost Siwoo's numbers yeah. um, a little bit because uh, I was out on Kevin Na as it was. So I mean, that's the unfortunate part of it.
2: That's so weird because Kevin Na's usually he'll usually wait till like you know three or four yeah. holes in the first round <laughs> to withdraw. But whatever, okay. They're changed <laughs> man, I suppose. <laughs> he got he
0: having some good luck. He started winning tournaments. All of a sudden, he's like, okay, I'll be better friendly. I'll start letting him know. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, I, I actually I'm the opposite with this with this group. I like everybody. So unlike the first tier, I'm like, yeah, I could probably fade the whole thing. I'll probably have a couple shares of everybody in this tier. But to simplify, uh, I'm with you guys. I think we're all in consensus. Louis' is my favorite play. Um, Louis is just, you know, I think people we forgot Louis was the best golfer in the world for like a two or three-month stretch last year, where he was just killing every tournament, first or second. Uh, and then, like it wasn't like not that much has happened since then. There's been, like a couple tournaments where he still did like pretty well. It wasn't like he was terrible. I think he missed one cut or two, um, and we're kind of like, oh, well, it's been a couple weeks, so we're kind of done. It's like it's not that far removed. Uh, so I and, and and you're right. This and it, it helps that this course seems like perfectly fit for his game, where he should be able to go up and down. And so I like Louis a lot. Um, and my second play in this in this tier, I think that I like a lot that we didn't talk about as much as Harris English um and it's kind of for a similar reason harris english came back from what i guess an an unknown injury was playing great he never slowed down and it just kind of feels like oh now it's a more loaded field and he's kind of just kind of playing second fiddle to some of the other guys but i think harris english is playing as well as anybody so i think uh two guys right there that i'm more than happy to jam into my lineups and then kind of start with or or build from there
2: so that is the 9k range. Why, uh, see, do you want to kick us off in the 8k range? Yeah, let me read a couple comments first. We've got um, Charlie says, Thanks for the help last weekend, fellas. My biggest win ever. I, I can't remember how much he won, but I do remember the screenshot, it was, it was quite a bit. So, um, I know the he-, he goes by a different screen name in our Discord, but uh, Charlie works really hard at this, so I'm really glad he took a, he took a big one down or a couple big ones down. Uh AZN Shorty. I think this is Yamazaki in our Discord. Um, congrats to Joel for his recent 20k win in college football. So back to back weeks. Uh he killed it. Nice, nice promo for his Friday night show. He does a Friday night show at eight o'clock, which is really excellent. I always stop in a little bit as well. But uh Joel, any any comments to AZN Shorty here?
0: I appreciate it. Uh keep coming back in. It was a big week. And I will say, like, listen, DFS goes in, in streaks like anything. Um and, you know, so some weeks in golf where, like, I just feel like I'm seeing it really well, and I, I have a good feeling I know I'm going to win. Uh, that's where I am right now with college football. I mean, I'm on a heater. The picks feel good. Like, I'm going into each week with a lot of confidence. Uh, I know I'm plugging the show, but every, you know, everybody who's watching seems to be winning, too. You guys check it out. Uh, we're, we're doing well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, again, Friday night at 8 o'clock, like, if you're not, like, going out, there's just no reason not to turn this on um, it's again you find it on our YouTube channel we have a video hub at windailysports.com. it'll all get retweeted out from the main page but uh, Joel congratulations that's that's pretty impressive Thank um you. so yeah you asked about the 8k range you know I I'm gonna lean on you guys a little bit here because the only guys I like in this 8k range that, that I that I know I want to play are kind of at the bottom honestly Eric van Royen might be my favorite at 8,000, just because, you know, I I feel like he's sort of, and by the way, I don't think he has any history here, but I think he's sort of out of everybody's consciousness because we haven't seen him in, well over a month, I think. Uh, well, at least not since the Tour Championship. But he went on that heater just to qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs. He did well in the FedEx Cup playoffs. He was fifth at the BMW, seventh at the Northern Trust, and then twenty second at the Tour Championship, which of course isn't really that great with that narrow field. But I just think you know, if the ownership is low, which what I'm seeing, it is pretty low. I think this guy's playing really, really well, and I think we're all going to be reminded of it and kind of feel like, oh man, like what you know, what were we thinking? once, uh, once he actually shows up for this tournament. So that, that's a guy at 8,000. I, I think I want to take a chance on. I'm not really fond of anybody. You know, normally I would be on a Jason Kokrak. So if you guys want to convince me there, that's fine. But his history here just really isn't very good. I think Corey Connors is very interesting. The recent play is good. Um, the course history isn't very good. His, his putter really kind of makes me nervous. I'm not going to be on Paul Casey. The only other play I even want to mention and I know Adam Scott has ties here, so I'm curious if any of you are on him. But I think Patrick Reed is an interesting GPP play, or at least I thought I did. But the ownership I'm seeing is is a little higher than I thought. But with Patrick Reed just kind of being off the radar, I thought at this price in this field, he made a lot of sense. But I'm going to wait to hear from you guys on the 8K range because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more in the 7K range in terms of the guys I really like.
0: I like this range a bit more on the bottom end of the range. I'm with you Um. I think especially for a GPP, it feels like Patrick Reed is underpriced. Um, you know, as a guy who in this field, if he was not the top price guy that he shouldn't be, but if he was in the 10K range, you wouldn't have bet. you think be, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if he was ahead of Will Zalatoris, you wouldn't be surprised by that. So uh, down at 8,600, when you look back at a winning lineup, if you saw that it was Patrick Reed in it with, you know, some of these other big dogs, you would be like, oh, that's such a smart play. So for that reason, I really like Patrick Reed. Um, and for me, I think the top of this range, I I agree with you about Connors and Coke rack and, you know, Paul Casey, I'm I'm the most on the fence on just because he has shown such great flashes recently. Um, but you know, I just don't think his game is, is designed for this course. It doesn't seem like it's the best fit. So for me, it's Reed. Um, I really like Tringale. Uh, Tringale is like, has the combination of history form and like, doesn't really have a glaring weakness in his game. Now he's not the best at anything. He's also not the worst at anything. He's probably just like above average in most stats. Uh, and of course, where I think, you know, he's done well in the past. He's affordable. My only concern with Tringali will be, let's see where the ownership ends up right now. It's a little higher than I would like it. Uh, I think I would like to play a Tringali at around eight to 10%. And right now I'm seeing around 12. So if, we, if that goes up, I will probably move off of him. But if it goes down, then I will definitely be playing some Tringale and then, um, I, you know, you would on paper the thought of Matthew Wolf here, you kind of would be like, I don't know if this makes sense, but this is where I go back to. You know how he, you know, Wolf can be really wild off the tee, and that gets him in a lot of trouble. I don't think he'll get him as much trouble here. And I think when he has some of those bad tee shots, I think he can recover better, and I think it will help him to continue to compete. So for that reason, I think there's some upside with Wolf. I wouldn't go crazy because. He can also ruin your lineups. You know him. he's has the ability to implode. So he'd be someone that I would put in some GPPs, but, like, wouldn't go overweight on. Um, I think Joaquin Neiman's in pay. I don't love his recent form. He hasn't shown us a pop recently. But he's affordable, and he's a guy that, you know, has as much upside as anyone. He's the same kind of thought process, as I was saying, with Tringale in terms of ownership. Um, you know, if that number starts dropping to 10 or below, then I'm going to be in. If it's going above 12, then, then I'm going to look in another direction. Uh, and that's probably it for me here. I think we can we can find some similar value in the 7K range. Uh, Spencer, how about you? Who are you looking at here?
1: Yeah, so one of the things I noticed is Paul Casey does seem to play well at similar venues that Webb Simpson does. Um, that's one of the reasons why he is in play for me. He's gained with his irons in 13 uh, starts and off the tee in six of his last seven. He's a top player in my model for the weighted tee to green that I ran. Uh, Patrick Reed at 8,600. I know he played the tour championship after missing time in the hospital because of pneumonia, but the break hopefully has done him well. Uh, I typically prefer Reed at a difficult track, but Bentgrass is his best surface, not to mention that he does or should probably have a chip on his shoulder after not making the Ryder Cup team. I would consider this GPP only. And before I continue on it, uh, I was curious where both of you guys are seeing Reed's ownership at.
2: I'm again, I'm not confident in my numbers, believe it or not. I'm pretty sure I saw it at close to 15%, which doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I see him at eight. I mean, to me, if he's sub 10%, he is just way too good to be priced here and not mm-hmm. generate traction. I agree. It's a different play at 15%. So, uh, I mean, as these numbers come in, I guess we'll get a better idea of that. Uh, I like Cameron Tringali at 8,500 as Joel said with it. I think he's doing everything but win over these last few months. He has nine made cuts in his last 10 starts. Six of those finishes have resulted in a top 26, and he ranks inside the top 50 in all eight categories of my model this week. Uh, There is some lack of win equity if you want to look at it like that, but the price tag is cheap enough to take shots at GPPs, uh, especially as Joel was saying. I mean, if he can be in that like eight to 10% range. I like him a lot more than if he's in like that 12 and a half, to 15% range. And then I like Joaquin Neiman at 8,300. I'm kind of willing to excuse what he did at Eastlake, just because that's a venue that will sometimes catch up on a golfer where everything implodes it and implodes badly. But I think his recent numbers actually look okay. Uh, he's gained off the tee in 31 of 34 starts with his irons in 17 of 20 he probably has as much upside as anyone we can find in this $8,000 section. That's not named Patrick Reed. So I like Neiman and Reed as kind of your dart throws here that are grading out well for me. I am going to play Casey, uh, just because I think there is a correlation to some extent with Webb Simpson. And I, I like Webb, I think more than everybody else does. And then Tringali makes a, a lot of sense too, with just with the way he's been playing lately.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think, uh, I think we're all pretty aligned so far, so this is a good thing. This is this means we're 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 seeing a lot of similar things. So uh, I'm going to kick us off in the 7K range. Uh, I'll start at the top. I think uh, I think Russell Henley is interesting. I really like mainly his price. Um, I think Russell Henley could have been you know thousand dollars or 8500, and, and we wouldn't have batted an eye. And then coming in at 10%, like I just think there's a lot more value from GPPs of having a lineup full of Russell Henleys and Patrick Reed's uh it's all balanced then you know going for the chalkier guys up top and then trying to find some some dark throws down low so that's kind of the, the the look and feel of my lineups I think uh Aaron Wise is also in play here um you know he has looked pretty good his last two outings here he missed the cup before that he's had a 15th 32nd and 10. so he has had success here and you just know, you, we know with Aaron Wise he's very hit or miss you know what I like about him he's made his last five cuts which for him you know that's really good. Um, what I don't like is that he's 7.9. Like Aaron Wise is the type of guy I prefer to play at like 7,000 as like the sleeper guy, not as someone that's kind of almost one of your main guys. So, you know, that's the where you got to kind of make a choice. Uh, if I do play him, it'll probably be small, and, and I would recommend him more for GPPs than cash. Um, now, the, the, the a perfect segment for good chalk, bad chalk would be Mito, right? Like it's like he's chalk. I mean, people are playing him. Everyone knows who he is now. He's not going to be sneaking up on anyone. Uh, The price is okay. You know, I I think this is a completely fair price. I wouldn't have mind. I think he could have been priced higher. So I actually think we're getting a good number on him. Um, I'm in. I'm actually – this is a chalk I'm going to eat. I think he's playing really well. I think he's probably a better golfer than the number, and that's why I'm going to buy even with the chalk. I think if it was 20% at at 8,500, I probably would pass. But I think this number seems too good to be true. So for that reason, I'm in with Mito. Uh, and then after that, I'm, I'm going to just go down to the 7,500 range and, and cut it from there. So, um, you know, after that, there's not too much I'm that high on. I think Ryan Palmer is someone I might consider for GPPs. His recent form is concerning, but he does have a decent history here. Um, and then Brian Harmon is, is someone who I'm definitely interested in. He's got a great history. I mean, three top 20s in his last three outings. His recent form again for has not been great, but I think there's a little bit of an over adjustment with him in that he was playing some of the best golf of his life, you know, over the summer, and now he's just coming back to the norm of Brian Harmon. And you know, Brian Harmon is a what he is. He's a seven thousand dollar golfer that's above average. And when you find a course that he likes, I think he can outperform that. So coming off of his hottest streak, uh, I think. You know, I got a little bit more down on him because I was like, oh, he's not playing as well as he was a couple months ago. But that's OK. He's never that was he was elite playing for for a few weeks. Now he's back to being, you know, above average. And again, this is a good course fit. He might find some of that uh, hot form he had over the summer and and, and compete this week. So that's what I'm looking at here. Uh, Spencer, how about you?
1: Uh, I will add to this, and I'm not so sure that this still remains true, but I know it was true as of a couple years ago. Aaron Wise, his home course is TPC Summerlin. So, yeah, so that's an interesting note with him. I I do think he makes sense, uh, but I don't have a ton of guys I love from $7,500 and above. Henley would be the one that sticks out to me like a sore thumb with it. You know, He was shaky in his last start at the BMW Championship. But he had gained at least five shots T to green in his previous five events. Uh, we keep running into this trend with some of these options where I'm not sure they can make enough birdies to win the event. But the reason why I'm willing to forgive Henley for ranking 72nd in my model for overall birdie or better percentage is because of how he performs at an easier test. It's kind of the same theory that I talked about with Scotty Scheffler in the sense that some of his data gets skewed at harder tracks that he plays. Uh, I think we should see a more robust outcome when faced at a birdie fest because of his ball striking nature. I also like Brian Harmon. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's the other guy I'm going to fit into my range. I think Uh, like, I I guess let's, I'll include Luke list into this, into this, even though he's 7,200. But if we look more towards the safety guys that are grading as positive values for me, but are kind of on the edge because of popularity, Luke list at 7,200, Brian Harmon at 7,600. Um, Mito Pereira at 7,800. Those would be my four largest disparities for a player that graded positively versus DraftKings pricing, but had some ownership issues. Um, You know, as you said, Joel, that doesn't mean they aren't playable. I think Mito makes sense to fit into a lineup, but I mean, that's about going to do it for me. I mean, like I'll fit in Harmon. I will play Henley. I think Mito makes sense, um, but I'm going to kind of play a lot of $9,000 golfers and, you know, roll in some other guys from there. And I have a lot of, like, random dart throws in the 7,000s that I wouldn't have a high percentage of them, but I'm going to kind of pick and choose spots and fit them into lineups and kind of see what happens there because I just don't see a huge difference past, like, I guess it would be Harmon and Henley where between those two guys and a lot of these, like, $7,000 golfers.
0: One thing I'm seeing, and just want to run by you guys, my, the numbers I'm looking at in terms of early ownership, For Luke List and Pat Perez seem surprisingly high. What are you guys seeing for those two?
2: Mine are pretty low. Okay.
1: Uh, For Perez, 8.6%. Who was the other option, sorry? Uh, Luke List. List was 8.7%, so virtually the
2: same. Mine are are lower than that, so that's why I said low, because that does sound pretty high to me.
0: Yeah, mine are pretty similar to Spencer's. And so that... Just for, the, for those golfers at this range, that just seems too high. Um, I, I do think they're both, they are both they both would have been fine value plays, uh, but do, they weren't like, guys, these are great value plays. And so at that percentage, I'd probably fade. But let's see when we get Steven's article on a Wednesday night uh, what the more accurate percentage looks like before we make any commitments one way or the other. Uh, Sia, how about you? Who are you looking at here in this range?
2: Yeah, a lot of the guys you are. So I won't go over – why you like them, because I like them for the same reasons. But but Russell Henley, again, we're, we're leaning on, for me, I, I'm really concentrated on ball striking, but but more like approach play. And if Henley's approach game is as hot as it can be, not as hot as it has been, but as hot as it can be, then he is a guy that's going to be a tremendous value at 7,900. Uh, Kevin Streelman is really interesting to me because I happen to think he's a great course fit, but his history here is pretty terrible. And his recent form really isn't, that much better than his course history. So to me, he he would normally be a guy I'd be like, no, nah, I'm I'm just out. Like if I'm, give me one of those two, give me course history or recent form. But if you can't give me either, then I'm out. But I do want to change things up a little bit this year. If I think somebody's a good course fit, I'm just gonna play them. And, and I think he's going to have his ball in the fairway, which I understand isn't critical here. But I think he's just going to have a lot of opportunity to stuff it close to the pin. I know I keep overusing that phrase, but you know I, I just. Again, at 7,800, he doesn't have a tremendous amount of upside, but it's just one of those things where I don't think the course history here is – who Kevin Streelman is, so I think he's an interesting pivot off of Masher Mito Pereira, for example. I just uh, and you'll see that in the ownership that he's going to be, you know, drastically lower than Mito. I do like Mito, however. Maverick McNeely is another guy who's kind of like Streelman, where of course history isn't very good. Recent history is kind of whatever. Um, actually, well, he had a he had a second place, but prior to that, it was it was kind of middling. But again, this is a birdie fest and we know McNeely can succeed there. So even though the course history isn't very good, I might take a shot there. I absolutely love Brian Harmon. I think, you know, in a few weeks, we could be looking at him in a similar, similarly situated tournament from a talent standpoint, he's 8,400. And and I think that goes for every player here, by the way. And Joel, that's why I think your balanced lineup approach makes a lot of sense because there's plenty of guys in the nine K range that in three or four weeks will be in the 10 K range. And, you know, some of the 10 K guys will be down in the, in the low nines. Like, you know, it's, there's some of these guys that just, you know, are going to fluctuate over the next few weeks. So we may as well anticipate that fluctuation as opposed to playing it right here, right now. Um, as far as other 7K guys I like, uh, Sahith Agal is interesting. Props to Spencer and his partner on Be The Number Pod because they've been all over him the last couple of weeks. And uh, I was on him a little bit last week. As I go down towards like the low 7Ks, I happen to also like Pat Perez, by the way. But again, if his ownership even comes close to 10%, I am 100% out on Pat Perez. But I, I did like how he graded out. Uh, I'm going right back to Henrik Norlander. Um, this guy is really, really playing well. He's playing like the Henrik Norlander of like 12, 16 months ago before he just went on this awful stretch. His putting has been good. His approach play has been elite. Like I think last week he gained 8.36 on approach. And that's not an aberration. It was only four tournaments before that he gained seven points something on approach. So this is like the perfect setup for him. If he keeps that approach play anywhere close to what it, it has been, and he he finds a hot putter, which he he tends to do here and there, uh, this guy is going to be a guy that could be there on Sunday. Just like he was last week, by the way.
0: My, my only concern with Norlander – I love me as and, and you know that. My only concern with Norlander is the early percentage ownership looks high. Very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have him over 10% right now, which uh, for him I don't love. But – um, yeah. Again, I don't know how accurate that is. So let's see what what we get come Wednesday night. Uh, before we move on from this range, I want to I want to ask. So you, see you. You did mention him event. Uh, so before it was he was mentioned, but Sahith Gala, I'm curious. Yeah. He played great last week. Um, I'm so, Spencer didn't really he didn't really come up on your in your takes. Where where are you on Sahith?
1: Uh, so the Gala on my spreadsheet, if I'm just running a, a statistical model on it, he's 20th overall, 23rd for upside, 13th for safety. Obviously that safety number is showing just like the recent form with it. So he looks better than maybe he actually is. I don't know. I mean, I think he grades out well for me. Um, He's one of the guys and I, I guess I bypassed him when we were talking about this range, but there's essentially, and maybe this is a good transition into the next range also, but. There's eight guys for me. So I'm trying to figure out how to say this correctly. So essentially when my model looks at differential between ownership versus my rank, that gives me a completely different thing than when I look at my rank versus the price tag on it, if that makes any sense with it. So essentially what this is trying to find is it's trying to find guys that I am higher on than ownership consensus would be throughout the industry. All these guys are extremely volatile. They may even be negative values for me when I run my model. Uh, But the top eight differentials that I had, and as I said, extremely volatile plays, I would be, you know, putting them into lineups with caution. But Stuart Sink at 7,100, Kevin Kisner at 7,400, Sebastian Munoz at 7,000, Rasmus Hogard at 7,100, Cameron Davis at 7,300, Sahit Tagala at 7,500, Cameron Young at 7,000 and Taylor Moore at 7,300, I mean, that is like, those are going to be my dart throws. And I agree with Joel on this. Like I'm going to have a more balanced approach for the most part with this. I won't need as many of these guys as I would on a normal week, but you know, random guys that I'm going to fill into a lineup. Like I like Henley and Harmon the most for a core play with it, but those are guys that I'm going to sneak into a lineup. I agree with your guys' take on Perez. Uh, I don't like the ownership where it's at. He graded really well in my model. I think you can make an argument that he's trending in the wrong direction here recently, but the mixture of this being an easy course and bent grass encourages me that he could produce another good performance. He's at two top tens here since 2016. So that'll be an ownership based play. And then I really like Ian Poulter uh, down here at the bottom. I think he's kind of trending across the board with the strokes game data. He's the 53rd most expensive player on DraftKings, but 30th in the betting market. That's the third largest disparity behind Hayden Buckley and Adam Hadwin. So I think I'm going to fit, uh, uh, Poulter into plays. And then I guess the only other one I will mention, because he missed kind of all the ranges of what I just talked about. He was the next name up would be Ryan Moore at 7,000. Um, You know, I don't know. I think at some point I might need to quit the guy because I feel like I'm on him every single week and it's not working with him. But he's just barely missing these cuts. This is a course that he does find success at. He's a Vegas guy from UNLV with it. So, um, you know, I don't know. I'm going to approach cautiously with Ryan Moore because I'm kind of sick of getting burned with him. But yeah, it's going to be a lot of Henley and Harmon for me. And then it's just going to be dart throws with all those guys, which I guess the Gala will be one of them that will be included into that mix. And I'll probably have a little bit more Poulter than uh, any of those other guys.
0: So I have a few questions for both of you. Uh, and you you, you you brought it up at the end there, but my first was going to be, There's do you have any correlation with Ryan Moore and being a Vegas guy in this tournament?
1: I mean, I I hate the idea of correlating because a person's from somewhere or went to a school somewhere that they have to be a good play uh, for a tournament, but my model really likes him and my model really likes him every single week, unfortunately, like he's 30th overall for me. So I have him as a positive value there and he's seventh in overall birdie or better percentage with the way I ran it 20th at TPC courses, which is obviously taking a little bit of what he's done here. I mean, a 13th in 2019. A 36th in 2018, a 15th in 2016, uh, you know, in between that, a 51st and 2017. So I think more fits this course perfectly. But I mean, like the current form does not look good with all the miscuts that he's had. Like obviously he turned it around a little bit at the Sanderson Farms, which is what's going to make me buy back in from coming 39th. But before that, miscut at the Fortinet, miscut at the Wyndham, uh, miscut at the Barracuda, miscut at the 3M open, obviously a second at the John Deere, which is nice. And maybe that's where You can fit him into a GPP lineup, but uh, I think this is a perfect course fit for him to find success now. Whether or not he turns that into something is another story, but as I said, I think he's missing these cuts barely. I think a lot of those missed cuts are not as bad as they look.
0: And then you didn't mention Seamus Power. Something broken? I thought you were, what happened there?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, so Seamus was 41st overall for me, 32nd from an upside perspective. If I look from a GPP, Build, he's a value. Um, it's probably just the course history number or that I'm getting from him. Um, but he's a better player now. Like, I don't want to look too much into that, but did miss the cut at the Sanderson. I I think that there are reasons why he makes sense. Uh, finding the weighted T to green metrics I ran, uh, he hasn't been good overall at TPC courses. I guess that's the other thing that uh took him down, but I don't have a problem with Seamus. I mean, he kind of is right in that range of like. You could go either way in my model with him. And if you look from a GPP perspective, like as an upside perspective, then he does great as a very slight value. So I don't have a problem playing Seamus. Like my model like Seamus, as everybody knows at this point, but uh, not as much as it usually does for whatever that's worth.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like Seamus. The main thing I love about him is I just think he's prices too good. I think he's a better golfer than the price mm-hmm. tag. That's I don't fair. think he's necessarily a great course fit, but this
2: is a guy that we know has a lot of upside, and below 7,500, it's just a good value. And uh, he makes birdies. He, he's yeah. he's oh, yeah. been a birdie Will maker, be. so this is—it seems like it could be a fit for him. I—I I, um He rates out really well in my model, but I didn't put him in my initial picks article. I kind of just glossed over him, and I don't know if that's some recency bias at play here, and I'm just realizing it this moment right now because I kind of want to play power.
0: Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have my shares, especially for GPP. Just, again, it's one of those things where it's like looking at roster construction when he's your second price guy in the Seamus power. Like, yeah, I can win a tournament with, like, with him mm-hmm. being one of my, my lower price guys. Um, the last guy in this reign I'm going to mention, then we're going to move on because we are running tight on time, is I know – I think, Spence, you briefly mentioned Kevin Kisner. Um, I think he's a good course fit here. I think he, he's not that far off from his big win. I think he's playing well. Uh, any positive or negative takes on Kevin Kisner?
1: Yeah. I mean, I like Kisner from an upside perspective. Like it's going to be GPP only with it, but, uh, he was inside the top eight of my differential with the way I ran my model with it. So I think anytime you get that where I don't know what kind of ownership you guys are seeing on him, like I see him at sub 1% right now. So I think when you get that, that it makes a lot of sense to like take a shot with Kisner just because he's too good to be in that range. And it doesn't always work out. He might miss the cut, but I think it makes a lot of sense with like a guy like Seamus, a guy like Kisner, that you're just getting golfers that are a little bit too good when they are the second to last guy into your lineup, as you said, Joel. Totally. I'm with you. Love that.
0: All right. Let's wrap this up. We're going to do the 6K range and then we'll get into our uh, outright market. So uh, in the name of time, why don't we go into the 6K range and give our favorite three plays each. Would that work? Yes. All right. Sure. See, you want to
2: kick us off? So I'm going to buck your rule and just list a bunch of players. Right. I said yes, but I was lying. In the moment, I knew I was lying, but I said yes. Okay, so let's start with uh, – th- there's not a lot of guys I like in the upper 6K range. I just like the, quote, dart throws that are in the 6,500 and below range. So that's really where I'm starting. Uh, Chesson Hadley, I'm just going to mention because he ha- he has had some good recent form. And his history here is actually quite good. Um, James Hahn, I can make the same argument for, although his recent form, he hasn't shown anything, but he has good history here. So I wanted to point out uh, James Hahn as well. Uh, Tom Hoag at 6,400. Uh, listen, this is a guy that can get really hot on approach, and, and we've seen him do that. And his history here is pretty good as well. Um, Hank Lebiota. Listen, man, this guy, the fall from grace is real. He's 6,300. And I just think he's shown the upside for him to I mean, granted, he hasn't shown it recently, but he showed he, he showed it for a good, you know, four tournaments in a row. I just don't think it went away. I don't think those four tournaments or however many it was, was a complete flash in the pan. So give me Hank Lebiota. I do want to point out, I think it was coach who, who sent me something on Harry Hall. Harry Hall played here at this course, TPC Summerlin, like six days ago, and he shot a 12 under um it was like a what is this a par 72 he shot a 60 well it was a par 72 when the the day he played it I think it's a par 71 here for for the big boys but anyway he's six thousand. he's the min price I, I believe he's from here and I think everybody I just said has an h in their name Hank Lebiota Harry Harry Hall Tom Hogue uh Chesson Hadley James Hahn Let's throw in KH Lee, and we've got our all-H team in the 6K range. I did also mention one non-H guy. I think I might have mentioned Kyle Stanley. 6,100, the worst putter on earth. That's going to kill him here, but he is a good ball striker. Maybe he can get hot for a few days, 6,100. I just think it's weird seeing him that low.
0: I feel like I have to add Adam Hadwin for you just because it makes sense in the H narrative.
2: That's the H pivot.
1: That's the H pivot. (laughs) That's
0: a good one. Oh, I love it. Spencer, who are you looking at down here?
1: Well, if Sia can't abide by the rules, I guess I won't either. But, uh, you know, just, I don't want to touch too much on, because I think Sia did a really good job. Uh, These will just be rapid fire. I think Kyle Stanley at 6,100, James Hahn, 6,400, Hank Lebiota, uh, Harry Hall, UNLV guy, Hayden Buckley, Adam Long, Mark Hubbard, uh, William McGirt is like, as volatile as you can possibly get. I don't know why my model seems to like him. I mean, he's less than 1% owned. I don't mind taking a shot there. But if, I'm going to touch on, I guess, Matt Kuchar you could throw in there too at 6600 Good at TPC Properties. I think the length may help him a little bit, but my two favorite plays in this range to get back on track, probably one at 6800 I usually fade him in head-to-head wagers, but I love how this course sets up for him. Three top 35s here since 2016. While he is volatile, missing three of his last six cuts, he has two top 10s recently. And then the other one that I'm going to throw into lineups would probably be Nick Taylor at 6,300. I like how he performs at short courses. Uh, He's going to be less than 1% owned probably. And he has three top 36 finishes in Vegas during his last four attempts. So Hadwin's the one I like the most. And then it's going to be a bunch of like Taylor, Shank, Kuchar, McGirt, Adam Long, Buckley, Hall, you know, Lebiota, Han, Stanley, just those random guys that you want to throw in that a lot of those guys have a specific skill set that maybe they're good at. Maybe they can't putt, and, but maybe they, you know, hit this week.
0: So Sia has a rivalry with a golfer. His hatred is so strong. He was able to list like 10 6K range golfers. Yes. That were all pretty good. And he excluded.
2: He excluded. A guy that actually makes sense at this tournament. <laughs>
0: Harry Higgs is his, his mortal enemy. Is he somehow found a way to make sure that he can list twelve guys in the, with a whole all their names start with H in the six K range and did not include Harry Higgs in that range, which is unbelievable to me. It's, it's, uh, he has two
1: H's, one. so that makes it no yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, but for me, in this down down here, you know, because of my balanced approach this week, I'm going to do very very few dart throws down here. There'll be a few guys I might look at, but for the most part, I don't need to be spending too much time down in the six K range. For those, for the few guys that I am interested in, um, I think Scott Piercy is interesting, he does also has a really good history here. Um, his around the green game is elite, so for someone who could be a pretty good course fit and not coming in to come in at a very high ownership.
2: And Joel, he's a he's a Vegas guy as well.
0: Yeah, he lives in Vegas. Mm -hmm. That is new information that I like him even more. So uh, we will be playing some Scott Piercy for sure. Um, And then, you know, after that, I think there's some guys a little bit lower. I think I'm interested in someone like a Peter who also has a really good course history coming in at 6,500. allows you to really get cramps, one of those guys you like up in there. Uh, And and I know I mentioned him a lot. He's definitely a GPP play, but um, I think JT posted, we can, we can go back there again. He's so volatile. He's so hit or miss. Like, he can kill you. Don't play a lot of them. But if you're going to put a, a bunch of lines and you want to take one shot on him in one of them, I think that would be okay. Um, I think that's it for the most part. I, I'm surprised Sia didn't mention – or you might have. He is an H name, so maybe I just missed it. Uh, James Hahn, did you mention him? I did. I mentioned okay. him, yeah.
2: Okay.
0: So there's James Hahn, and, and I guess I no one can follow – I can't even follow my own role. Um, the last <laughs> person I, I don't, I'm not sure if we said was Brian Stewart, uh, who – I think is a really good course fit. His game should work well here. Let's not forget, he was the darling pick like three tournaments ago. And like he kind of fell off, but uh, it's not that far removed at this price point. I think he
2: grades out pretty well here.
1: What's his price, Joel? He is...
2: Oh, I see it. It's 6300 6300 yep. Wow, that's really low.
1: Yeah, wow. I, I like the steward call also. Um, he's somebody I guess I had overlooked with it, but uh, he has like 40-something spots of value in my model from... Uh, which is very substantial. So I, I like that call on your part, Joel. An extremely volatile player at this tournament, uh, as you'd
2: expect in the 6,300 range, with a lot of missed cuts, but also a fourth place finish in 2020. So there's something to be said for that in this range.
0: For sure. For sure. Um, all right. I like it. That's good. That's the player pool. I think we gave out some some winning plays. You got some options to choose from. Now, before we wrap up today, let's, uh, let's touch on some outrights. Um, See, do you want to kick us off in the outright market?
2: Yeah, I've got four, and I'll just be super quick with them. Um, Victor Hovland, I just said I think he's the best player in this field. It's not a sexy number at 20 to 1, but whatever. Uh, I I think it's uh, – I, I don't want to say there's value in the number in a full field like this, but I think it's a pretty good number. I'll, I'll bet it. Uh, Hideki at 28 to 1. I think he's another one of those guys that that might be we – might, we might find out after this tournament, or we might realize, hey, man, this guy was kind of mispriced at 9,500, like – what, you know, why are why is answer and burns ahead of Hideki? Like, we get it because of their recent form, but like, are they really better than Hideki? Like, it's very in, The pricing here is very interesting. So, please don't get those of you who are formulating lineups over the next two days, don't get caught up with the pricing. Like, just look at the players that you like that we like and, and make your team. If there's a guy in the 8700, he's 8700, and there's a guy 9600. It doesn't mean that the ninety six hundred guy is better. Just please understand that, because we we all we all, all fall into that trap. Um, so Hideki, I'll go with Mito at fifty to one. I think it's a good number, and then finally I'll go Norlander at one hundred and thirty to one. Those are my four. I love it. I love it. How about you, Spencer?
1: Yeah, I have four also. So Harris English at thirty two to one. Joaquin Neiman at forty eight to one. I had to make a tough decision between Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland. I ended up going with Scheffler at 23 to one. Hovland was the one that missed out for me. I I like the Hovland call on CS part. I mean, I think that if he wins this tournament, it's not going to surprise anybody. And I actually think the number is fine at 20 to one. It's just exposure kind of adds up when I'm in the sub 50 to one range. And then uh, nobody's going to love to hear this, but I took Webb Simpson at 30 to one on FanDuel. I just think that's a really big boosted price. I mean, he's 18 to one at a lot of places. My model thinks he should be the favorite to win this tournament. So if you're going to give me him at 30 to one, and then I guess just as a random uh, other thing that they're out there, my favorite head to head bet this week, Siwoo Kim minus 112 over Jason Kokrak. Uh, That's minus 120 at a few offshore books and minus 130 on DraftKings. So I think that's a good number on FanDuel for Siwoo over Kokrak, who seems to be trending in the wrong direction at this point.
0: I like it um i'm gonna give four plays to them but i'm gonna give you guys two complete hail marys so i have two 151 plays uh the first is adam Schenk at 151 and the second is denny mccarthy at 151 so again hail marys but i think these are two guys that have the upside to win they they both have been playing pretty well recently so if you want to really uh Try and bankrupt the casino, then we could take a shot at it there. Um, but then I think my more realistic plays I like. Um, let me just double check the number to make sure I get it right. Mito at fifty to one, and I think uh, I think it'd be a, another a nice shot to take uh, in the eighty to one range. It's actually two guys. There's Ryan Palmer and our guy Seamus Power. So uh, I think those are just two really good numbers for those two guys. I almost like Ryan Palmer more as a Better than outright than I would in a GPP in a DraftKings lineup because he's one of those guys. that If he's hitting it and playing well, he does have the upside to win the tournament. But he's just he could also just easily miss the cut. So those are some of the uh, the tickets that I I would punch. But more, I'm I'm going for I'm swinging for the fences. So um, not something that I'm picking with safety. Now let's go to where we really make our money in the first round leader market. Uh, Spencer, why don't you kick us off? Who are your first round leader plays?
1: But I will say based off of what you just said too, I like that Palmer call on your part. I mean, I know we didn't talk about him at all and he probably does make more sense as a bet, but uh, I really like where your head's at there, but I have three first round leaders this week. So Emiliano Grillo, 85 to one, Scotty Scheffler, 40 to one. And I wanted to make sure I had some Victor Hovland exposure. So Victor Hovland, 35 to one.
0: I love it. I love it. For my first round leaders, uh, I'm going to keep it. You know, again, we're we're swinging for the fences. We're going to try and hit a home run on on the first day. So, uh, for starters, I got Hank Lebiota at 150 to one. I have Spencer's boy at 180 to one. Dirt McGirt uh, for your first round leader, and then the more realistic play, someone that I think we can actually uh, get there at 60 to one. I like Brian Harmon.
2: So. See ya. How? Uh, who? Where am I putting the bank? The whole bank bankroll. Where's it going? Man, this is gonna blow you away, guys. Um, my my breaking news is just really going to break the bank. Like sports books need to need to be careful at this point. Okay. And by the way, this. You know what? I'm gonna save this for later. Okay. Let me just start with Hideki Matsuyama at forty to one. Okay. That I, I think there's value there. We know he can get hot. Uh, obviously, he's elite, but we know he can get hot in first rounds as well. Um, Russell Henley at sixty to one uh like that evr was almost going to be the breaking news i wasn't in love with the number he's also 60 to 1 uh henrik norlander at 90 to 1 if you remember he was my breaking news as first round leader last week and he kind of got close actually ended up finishing fourth overall um i agree with you hank lebiota uh 150 to 1 so that's five that i've given out Decky henley evr henrik norlander hank lebiota But the breaking news, folks, on October 5th, I'm giving this out at 9.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, otherwise known as 6.07 Spencer's Time, Vegas Time, Shriners Open Time. I'm telling you that on Thursday, two days from now, your first-round leader, this is crazy. This is so crazy. I need you to invest all your money in this first-round leader who, crazy enough, is 180 to 1. He's 180 to 1. He is an absolute lock, obviously, to be first-round leader His name is Tom Hogue. It's another H guy. Tom Hogue has shown an ability to get hot in any round, but particularly in first rounds. And 180 to 1 is just a a nice little number. This guy has good finishing positions here in the past. He's in okay form for Tom Hogue. And uh, that's your breaking news. Everybody go out and spend money you don't have because you're going to have it in a couple of days. You're welcome, America. We have fun with this, babe, but I want to add to that. Tom Hogue is absolutely a first-round leader type
0: guy. Like, you always notice, like, he's competing day one, and he ends up being terrible and
2: falling apart, but he's always competing day one. He's right. He's he's always. You know what's funny? In in, in those day ones, he really plays the part. Like, you're like, oh, man, this guy's on fire. He's all confident. He's just pouring it in. He's stuffing it, you know, from – you know, 150 out, and it's like, man, this guy, like, how, how do we not hear about this guy all the time? And then, like, Saturday rolls around, and it's like, oh, my goodness. I'm so glad I didn't roster him. So, anyway, Tom Tomo, 180 to 1.
0: I'm in. Sold. That's how we're getting rich. I'm putting all of it on it.
2: I've already got a second mortgage coming out, so I can uh, really ensure that we make all the money when he is Yeah, on I'll tell you what. I- I'm selling this entire background here. Mm-hmm. I'm actually I'm doing a garage sale tomorrow. I, I don't have one, but I'm going to somebody else's garage. I'm selling all that stuff because I know I'm going to be able to recoup it after the first round.
0: 100%. See, you, you should sell everything up except for your hair because that's too good. You can't mm-hmm. lose that. But other than your hair, you should sell everything you have. Put it on this bed. That's right. It's done. It's Consider it done. Yeah, that's very easy. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, there might be one more thing. See, are we, did we forget
2: something? Well, I mean, I, I have an announcement to make. Frankly, um...